We are FBC Summit, leading everyday people to love Jesus and make Him known. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here's our pastor, Dr. Larry LeBlanc. What an absolutely beautiful prayer. Captivate us. Friends, we're in a war right now, and that is that our mind, our hearts, our lives, that we are tempted to be captivated by everything else in the world but the thoughts of Christ. But everything else in the world but the discipline of walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. We are tempted in every way we turn to be captivated in thought and in mind and in deed by everything else but Jesus. And so we come today, and, and part of what we pray both this Sunday and every Sunday is that as it gets time to open the Word of God, that we would be captivated by Christ, that we would be captivated by His Word. And so this morning, as you take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians 2, verses 8 through 10, we're making that our prayer this morning that the Lord Jesus would captivate us by who He is. Because if we are captivated by Christ, then truly we can be captive only to Christ. You see that, that that is this morning, that that is our title this morning, that we would be captive not to anything else, but we would be so captivated by our Lord Jesus that nothing else would have hold over our lives. I've mentioned to you many times over the years, and I think it's really important that everyone in here know these three questions. Because if you're a young teenager, maybe you're in junior high today, and you're kind of trying to figure out your way, you're asking these three questions. This is a, these are three questions that span cultural context. It doesn't matter what continent you're on. These are three questions that span age demographics. It doesn't matter whether you lived in the 1900s or whether you're a teenager today. These three questions are asked by all people at all times and until we understand that these are really core questions, then we'll never really seek to be able to answer them. So, so these three questions are this. And, and students, I want you to especially pay attention because not only in your high school and junior high classes, but as you get into college, these three questions are what both philosophy students try to answer, psychology students try to answer, sociology students try to answer because they're at the core of human existence. So the, question are, the questions are these. Number one, number one, who am I? Uh, who am I? If I had to define myself, who am I? That's one of the reasons that adolescence is so hard, that, that when you're, you're changing and you're becoming, you're not, you're not a child anymore, but you're not an adult yet, and you're asking that question, what is my identity? I, I mean, maybe I know who my parents are but 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 who am i like what makes me me everybody wants to know the answer to that question the second question why am i here why am i here well that's a basic question as it relates to first of all uh even this morning why am i here specifically but but on a broader context why am i on earth why do i exist why was I born? Why was I put here? Essential question. Who am I? Why am I here? And the third question is absolutely just as essential as the first two, and it's this. Where am I going? Where am I going? Now, now certainly, 
we ask that question when we, we ask people about what their purpose is in life. What is your purpose? What, what do you hope to accomplish? Where are you going? And sometimes we talk about where you're going for college or where you're going to get a job or where you're going to set up shop, where you're going to live. But, and those questions are important, but ultimately everybody wants to know, where am I going when this life is over? And everybody has to answer that question. Either you believe you're going to some place that resembles heaven, or you believe you're going to some place that resembles hell, or you believe that you're going to re be reincarnated, or you believe you're going to turn into dust and there's going to be absolutely nothing. So everyone who has ever lived has asked those three questions. And anytime we examine any worldview or any life philosophy, we ought to know how it answers those three questions. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones said, he said, if a philosophy of life can't help me to die, then I, it cannot help me to live. If a philosophy of life can't help me to die, then it also can help me to live. When we get to this section of Colossians, we've really gotten to the, to the meat of the letter. In, in the first few verses of chapter 2, we are, are reminded, we're urged to maintain allegiance to the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ. And now, from verse 8 all the way through verse 23 of the epistle, it is a model for how to deal with all of the false worldviews and false philosophies that life is throwing at us. Now, certainly, there is false religion, and we're going to talk about that some over the next few weeks. There are cults, and we're going to talk about that some over the next few weeks. But the main emphasis that I think the way that we need to apply that is that we live in a world where we do not live where Judeo-Christian ethics and a Judeo-Christian belief and a Judeo-Christian worldview exist anymore. So there is a competition for a basic understanding of what is life. How do we answer these three big questions? And so as we delve into this, I, I hope today that it provides a defense, that it provides an apologetic, that it helps all of us, both our students and adults alike, to be able to look at the world that we face and recognize that there are hollow and deceptive philosophies that are afoot that would just as soon take your soul. And so let's be wise, let's be discerning, and let's see what the Lord of God says about how we are to deal with that. Stand with me and let's read together. Colossians chapter 2, we begin in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is head over every power and authority. Lord, teach us not to look anywhere else when we have everything we need in you, Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Would you please be seated this morning? And you'll see that is our big idea this morning. Don't look anywhere else when you have everything you need in Christ. And so as, as we develop this this morning, there's really these, these short verses we're just going to pull two big points out of this and spend some time exploring them this morning. And the first is this. Number one, be alert and on guard. Look at verse 8. Be alert and on guard. When we see verse 8, that's a very well-known passage of Scripture. He says, say, see to it that no one takes you captive. Let's talk about what that means. What does it mean to be taken captive? That, that word actually that Greek word captive, it means to be kidnapped. Be sure that no one 
kidnaps you, takes you against your will, forces you. We just sang this morning that the Lord would captivate us. So, so I think it helps us to understand that you are either captive to Jesus Christ or you are captive or kidnapped by a world system and a world's values. So I'm either a prisoner of Jesus or I'm a prisoner of Satan. Now that, that seems like that's only two options. And I know for a lot of people you're saying there's got to be something between those two. There, there's got to be something else besides one or the other. The Bible says that we're either a child of God or we're a child of the devil. So our understanding helps us to see the necessity of what it takes to keep from being captivated or kidnapped by anything other than the person and work of Christ. But remember, he is not writing to a group of lost people. He's writing to a church. And a church is made up of believers, born-again believers. I think that's important to note because he is warning Christians that they too can get caught up in false worldviews and false philosophies and bad religion, that just because you are saved does not mean that you can relax. In fact, because you are saved, you ought to be more on guard. You ought to be more alert. You ought to be more discerning whenever it is that you're looking at all the false world systems that are around. Now, the church is constantly faced. Jesus warned about it. The church has constantly faced false teachers. Jesus called them wolves. Those have been afoot for over 2,000 years. And certainly when we see not only false teachers, but we see cult movements. And we, we can spend the rest of our time together talking about cults that use the name of Jesus or try to loosely affiliate themselves with Christianity. And that's certainly a danger. But where I want us to spend more of our time is not just on the cultish influences we face. It may be that that none of you are going to go join the, the Branch Davidian compound and, and and lock up with David Koresh. And it may be that that, that none of you would fall victim to Jim Jones and his schemes and drink the Kool-Aid. And it may be that, that there are a lot of you that, that aren't necessarily in danger of accepting the teachings of the Mormon church or becoming Jehovah's Witness or any of the other cults that we could name. But what I would say is, is that all of you are in danger because we, whether we recognize it or not, we are being indoctrinated by a false world system that if we're not alert and on guard, we allow our belief structure to change when we don't even realize we know, we know it's changing. Because if we're not captivated by Christ, captivated by His Word, if we're not educated doctrinally and theologically, then we let in all kinds of craziness. And it takes root in our soul. So Paul is reminding them, I'm proud of where you've been. I'm proud of where God's brought you. But now's not the time to relax. And if the church has ever needed this message, it's now. Now is not the time to relax. Now is the time to be on guard. The philosophies and empty deceptions. He's talking about the worldviews and the false teachers inside the church, the deceptions, the fraud, the tricks. He even talks about human traditions, that, that you shouldn't let human traditions guide you. That, that needs to be talked about because it, it certainly in Baptist churches, we need to take our lumps where they need to be taken as well. There are times when tradition seems to trump biblical authority, and it becomes that the reason that we do this is because we've always done it. Well, if you've always done it and it doesn't work, it seems like that's a dumb reason to keep doing it, right? 
and if you've always done it, and it's unbiblical. There's another reason not to do it. So he's a, Paul is making sure he understands that there are traditions that the church is picking up. Some of that is because of legalism that's trying to seep its way into the church. But traditions, philosophies, worldviews that are sinking their way into the church because they are founded, it says, on the basic principles of the world or the elementary principles of the world. Do you see that phrase? Paul is saying it is the height of foolishness when you have been bought with a price, captivated by Christ, yet now you are going back and allowing some of the basic principles of the world, which are completely opposite of the gospel, to now take root in your heart. So what I want us to spend a little bit of time doing today, I, I think this will be a, a worthy use of our time and a worthy application of verse 8, is to understand that in the here and now, what are some of the deceptions? What are some of the worldviews and philosophies that we need to be aware of? Because if we don't know what they are and identify them, I believe that's when we fall victim to it. And if we don't identify them beforehand, often it's too late. And we look back and say, well, I, I wish I had been prepared for that. I wish I'd have had a defense for that. I wish somebody would have warned us about that. So, so let's just talk a little bit. And one of the things I think we need to talk about is when we talk about life philosophies, what is the reason for life? When people ask those three big questions, who am I, why am I here, and where am I going? There's really, when it gets down to it, they've done study after study after study, and certainly the vocabulary could change a little bit, but there's really basically eight beliefs on that. If you had to, to take all of these worldviews on what is the meaning of life and, and bring them all down and say, what, are the, what would be the eight basic things that people believe about that? And so if you want to take notes on this this morning or you want to just listen and think about where, where you see these being applied. And the first is this. If you ask some people what is the meaning of life, a huge percentage of people would say they would operate under what's called the pleasure principle. You're here to have a good time. You're here to live it up. This life is all there is. So since it is, you ought to get everything you can out of it. It's the reason that materialism dominates the day. It's the reason that hedonism dominates the day. And so the pleasure principle is definitely alive and well as a life philosophy. That was true in the first century as well. So you, you certainly have that. But, but number two, you have some people that say, and, and at first glance, this is, this is not a terrible when compared with the others that we're just simply here to serve other people that the only reason that we're on earth is just to to do everything we can for others the, the most we can the the third is simply that people are interviewed if you ask them what's the meaning of life they'll tell you oh it's just a mystery nobody knows the answer to that who knows that's scary but we're talking about a double digit percentage of people if you were to ask them, what's the meaning of life? They'd just shake their head and look at you and say, I have no clue. But they'd go further than that and say, but to be honest, nobody else does either. Number four, people like Nietzsche and Sartre. By the way, Nietzsche, we see, hear so much even still about Nietzsche. Nietzsche couldn't even operate under his own life philosophy. He spent the last 11 years of his life in an insane asylum because his own worldview drove him crazy. And that's because he and people like John Paul Sartre promoted the idea that life has no meaning, that it is just a cruel joke, that you make absolutely no difference, that whether or not you had been born or the world was here, that the world has zero meaning. And so 
obviously you can see that the problems that lead to that. I would tell you today, one of the reasons that we see so much depression, one of the reasons we see so much suicide, one of the reasons that we see so much darkness in our world is that that worldview is very prevalent. We have a large group of young people who would say, say absolutely that, that, that life has no meaning in the world. Well, if you truly believe that, then everything is tainted by that. Let's keep moving along. Some people believe simply that all life is, that the meaning of life is just a struggle, that there's nothing else, but, but it's just meant to be hardship after hardship. Other people simply believe that we create our own meaning. Now, that's absolutely very postmodern, that it's whatever you want to believe about life, you believe it, and you create your own meaning for you and those around you. That seems to be very popular. And then number seven is very close to life not having any meaning at all. But number seven is that life is just a joke, a, a cosmic joke, that it's just laughable because it's all just absurd, that life is completely absurd. Now, if you took notes on those and you went back and listed them, you, you might see one or two things that you saw some elements of, of, that, that, that you wanted to think a little bit more about. But if those were all there were, I've listed seven. If those were all there were, then how empty of a world would we live in? I would tell you it's why we live in such an empty world because the overwhelming majority of people have adopted one of these seven worldviews. So we come to it, and obviously I hope some of you, if I were to give you a true or false on all of these, I pray that everyone here today and that everyone listening would be able to say none of those are right, so, so I believe that, that, that the best way to phrase it is, is that the Bible gives us a very clear definition of the meaning of life. And the Westminster, Catech Westminster Catechism tells us that we are to enjoy God and love him forever. Or that the, the reason we are created is to be in relationship with our creator. If that's true, then it changes everything. Amen. If that's true, it changes everything. But yet we're told, and you guys are being told all the time, that, that the world is just not spiritual anymore. That, that we just don't live in a spiritual, that people aren't spiritual anymore. That is absolute garbage. People are just as spiritual now as they have ever been. The difference is the type of spirituality that we adopt and accept. So, so I want us to take just a moment and kind of lump some things together because they are lumped together. Have any of you ever heard of the popra? That's what a lot of people refer to Oprah as. Because she has more influence on religion in the United States than any one pastor. All right? You ever heard of somebody named Deepak Chopra? Some of you have heard of him. Maybe some of you have heard of the little book by Elizabeth Gilbert called Eat, Pray, Love. Maybe you've, you've, you've seen that on bookshelves. These people, along with others, they all have a worldview that is indoctrinating the world, and they share four common things. And when I tell you, most of you are going to nod your head, not because you necessarily, I hope, agree with them, but this is, this is the worldview we're living in, and this is what a biblical worldview has to fight up against because what I'm telling you is this is what is accepted by the overwhelming majority of people. And so what is taught really in this it's new age religion is number one is that all religions offer only glimpses of God. So we must experience God through our feelings. 
It's one of the, the reasons you hear so much about this meditation and getting in touch and, and finding yourself and all that comes with that because you need to look inside yourself to find what you truly should believe because you can't trust outside sources. You can only trust your feelings. Now, does that sound biblical or unbiblical? I'm giving, this is an easy one. I know some of you are struggling this morning, right? Biblical or unbiblical? Good, second one, un. Because it's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. We don't look within, we look without. And the reason we don't look within is because our hearts are inherently wicked, not inherently good, and because if you trust your feelings, only a fool would trust his feelings. A heart is deceitful above all. That's what Proverbs says. So that's completely counter to what the Bible teaches. But the second thing is they teach, oh, they don't use this vocabulary because this is a $5 word, but what they teach is old school pantheism. Now, what is pan? Pan means all. They teach that God is in everything and is everything. So God is in you. God is in these pews. That God is in these lights. So that God is in everything. So we all equally have a share in God because we are God because God is in us. Biblical or unbiblical? Un. Y'all are knocking it out. Un. There is a transcendent, almighty God, creator of heavens and earth. He, yes, he is omnipresent, so he is everywhere. But we have the God who made the tree, not the God who is in the tree. Right? Very different from what the Bible teaches. Number three, that sin and evil are simply illusions. That there is no hell and that there's no judgment that the only hell and judgment that you will really ever experience comes from your own mind. So if you could liberate your mind from negative thoughts and negative feelings, then you would be liberated completely and you would never have to experience the only hell that exists, which is the hell on earth that you've created, biblical or unbiblical. You hear it all the time and it's in little expressions. They free your mind, right? We're our own worst enemy, which is true to a certain extent. But when we really understand that the Bible teaches that, yes, there is judgment, that there is hell, and that there is more to this than understanding that it is illusionary, that, that it's not just a psychological experiment. And then fourth, they teach that perfect happiness is available now, that heaven is on earth. You say, well, this is so anti-biblical. Don't, easy because what, what false cults and false teachers always do is they take a little bit of the truth and they mix that in with a pot of wrong doctrine to where it's just enough that you accept it. How do you think Joel Osteen's become what he's become? Because you take a little bit of exactly what I just described and you say things like, you can have your best life now. That's straight from Deepak Chopra and the Popra. That is straight from them. That's the belief, right, that it's all in you, that the power resides within yourself, that there's a miracle in your mouth, that you and you alone are responsible for your destiny, and all you have to do is claim it. And it is not only a diversion from the Bible, it is outright heresy it is 
completely antithetical to what the gospel teaches. It is what the Bible is talking about here, a deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition and the principles of the world. Everybody talks about us getting brainwashed. I heard somebody recently told one of our students, oh, you're not going over to that church, are you? Talking about here, you get brainwashed over there. If they mean by that that we're going to immerse you in the Bible, that you are going to be washed and sanctified by the Word, then yes. But here's what I'm worried about, is not you being brainwashed by the church, it's you being brainwashed by the culture we live in. So we come and we understand that unless we're grounded, we buy into it hook, line, and sinker. And so we come to this place, and we need students and adults alike to grasp this, that spirituality, that, that true religion, that, 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 it isn't, that, that it isn't a buffet. Let, let me tell you what I mean by that. I was in Subway the other day, and if this is how you do it when you go to Subway, God bless you. I mean, I'm not like, to each their own. But I'm in line, and this lady is getting a foot-long sub, and she gets whatever she got, whatever meat she got. So it got time to put the toppings on it. Now, I'm not picky. I like like a lot of different things. I'm not picky at all. But I always, with fascination, see what people get put on their sandwiches. I just find that interesting. So I step back and I'm like, well, let's see how she decorates. When I tell you there was nothing they had that didn't get put on this, I'm talking about if lettuce, tomato, pickles, black olives, cucumbers, onions, bell peppers, salt and pepper, oil and vinegar, banana peppers, spinach, and it just keeps piling up, piling up, piling up. And goodness. And, and so I'm looking at it. So then, so then it gets time for the liquid part. And we get, we get oil and vinegar, mayonnaise, mustard, uh, sweet onion, teriyaki, ranch, sriracha sauce. I'm, I'm like, and I can't even watch anymore. Like, and I don't want to get involved, but I'm like, give, and I look at it, and it's all coming off the top of the sandwich. It's dripping down on. And so, so then there's so much on it. When they fold it over and they cut it in half, it just, like the sandwich just squirted. And then when she wrapped it up, all that liquid was like all over the outside of the bread. And I'm just looking at this and I'm going, how disgusting like is this? And I'm sitting at the subway bar and I've been studying this passage. And that's how you know you're a preacher because you see things every like weird stuff pops out. And I'm like, that's the deceptive philosophy that everybody thinks. They think religion is like subway that you just go up and just add whatever you want. What toppings do you want? What beliefs do you want? What would you like to have today? And this is not have it your way. This is not what toppings do you want to add to your weirdo system of beliefs. We have a system of beliefs that was given by the hand of God, inspired and inerrant, and the gospel is not open for you to be able to add a little here and a little there. And until we understand that, that there is a right and that there is a wrong, and then we develop that as a philosophy, we let all kind of garbage into our lives and into our soul. Does that make sense? Good, I was hoping it did. We keep hearing how secular our culture has become, that they don't believe in anything spiritual. But check this out. 
30% of Americans believe they've been in contact with dead people. That's almost one in three people. Almost one-third of people believe they have been in contact with dead people. Now, that's not necessarily Christian, but that's spiritual, all right? 20% of Americans believe they have seen or talked to a ghost. 66%, that's two-thirds of Americans, believe in some form of reincarnation, spiritual energy, or psychic powers. Why am I telling you this? Because we've been led to believe that people just aren't spiritual anymore. No, they've just become spiritual idiots. There's a difference because you've accepted everything else in life. You have people, do you, do you know, and, and please just leave the emails alone about what I'm about to say. I, I know there's a lot of thinking about this, but it blows my mind. Do you know the number one group of people who believe in aliens and UFOs? It's people that don't go to church or have a strong faith in Jesus. Now, why? Now, now this isn't about if you believe in UFOs, don't storm out and say, I'm not going to some church if he doesn't believe in UFOs. Here's my point. You were built to believe in something. And if you don't believe in what God placed in your heart to believe, if you've got a hole in your heart, a God-sized vacuum, you will replace it with beliefs in incarnation and UFOs and ghosts and everything else in the world. And the reason is, is that God created you with a spiritual capacity. It's just we live in a world of foolishness that wants to fill it with everything else. See to it that no one takes you captive by deceptive philosophy. Be alert and on guard. And then number two, if you are alert and on guard, you will see that there's no need to look for what you already have in Christ. Verses 9 and 10, some scholars argue, are the most definitive statements of the identity of Christ in all of Scripture. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ who is the head over every power and authority. You have been given fullness in Christ. That means you lack nothing. There's nothing else that any structure or religion or belief system could add. And it is the height of foolishness to desire to add more to your life when you've already experienced the person and work of Christ. And if you know the gospel, he's warning the Colossian church and he's warning you, why do you keep looking to fill your life with other things when you've already been filled, you've already been captivated? Oh, Jesus, you've already had that happen, right? And so that's the importance of understanding how the gospel not only saves us, but the gospel that the word of Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit continues to fill us, that he alone has the power to save that he has the alone makes us complete. And if we're full of him, why in the world would you want anything else? It hadn't been that long, so let me just see. Let's go back. Some of our students, I want you all to help me. What were the three questions? We started off with three questions. What was number one? Who am I? Good. Good job. I'm glad you came back from college. Good. Yes. Somebody else. Number two. What was the second one? Why am I here? Good. What was the third one? Where am I going? Could the rest of y'all have done that? 
Okay, I'm just making sure. There is only one message that answers those questions completely, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who am I? I'm a child of the Most High God. I've been made in the image of God, male and female alike. I'm an image bearer of the King, and I've been adopted by the Lord Jesus Christ so that I'm an inheritor of the good things of God. Now, there's an answer. That's who I am. I don't know who you are. That's who I am. Why am I here? I've been placed here for a meaning. I've been placed here to worship and serve the Lord Jesus. And I don't know how long the Lord's going to give me on earth, but I've got a reason to be here. I've got a reason to exist, and that reason is incredibly tied to the person and work of the Lord Jesus. That's why I'm here. And where am I going? One glad morning. When this life is over, I'm going to fly away. Either by death or by rapture, I'm going to see the king so i have purpose for here and i have purpose for now but i also have a life philosophy that helps me not only to live but it helps me to die and that's why i'm telling you we need to be people who both understand and defend the beauty and the power of the gospel there are deceptive philosophies afoot but jesus christ is on the throne and you ought to run to him and away from everything else stand with me Lord Jesus, we stand before you today thankful. Thankful that you have put a call on our lives not to look anywhere else when we have everything we need in you. So by your Holy Spirit power, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be a people who are alert, that we would be a people who are on guard, and we would be a people who don't look anywhere else but you. Because the fullness that we have is found in you. Maybe it is that you're here today and you thought about all these messages that you're hearing in our culture, all these messages of supposed wisdom that are supposed to bring you wholeness and completeness, but you recognize by the authority of God's Word that the only place that you can go to be made whole, to be made complete, to have your most important questions answered is the foot of the cross of the Lord Jesus. So if you need to give your heart to Him today, to find meaning and purpose in eternity, then we invite you to come. Maybe it is that you're here today and you're a guest with us and we're thrilled to have you as a guest, but you want to be a part of, of a church that not only answers those questions biblically, but is going to encourage you to live that out in the midst of a world that is hollow and deceptive. Or maybe it is that you just want to come pray today. Maybe you're a student. And you just really look at your life and you say, you know what, I want to live for Jesus and I know how hard it is and I know how many competing things there are coming at my life and my friend's life, but I'm praying, praying. Maybe it is that, that you want to pray over our church or pray for our young people. You want to pray for a generation of Christians that are right now that, that are going to stand up to the false philosophies and life systems and, and you want to be a part of that. that. That's what revival is going to look like in our day and maybe you would just lift that up. Maybe every one of us that are in here, that as you sing along or as you listen, you would think about what it would look like if you truly were captivated by Jesus. That you would make it your prayer and you'd make it your song of praise. That we would be captivated. In Jesus' name, amen.